right. Good morning. Ben, thanks. Love the new song. That was fantastic. Can we celebrate our band this morning? It's, uh, it's really, really good to be with you. Uh, my name's Adam, part of the teaching team here. It's good to be with you here in this room. Um, I know many of us are joining online today. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we've been thinking about you. We know that uh, some of you are home and you're sick, or you have someone in your family who's sick, so you're home, or you're just wanting to have extra caution, and you've been prayed for. We're thinking about you. I know there's some of you at home who walked out the door and saw ice on your windshield, and you're attending online this morning. I'm also thinking about you, and I always think about you when I was scraping my windshield. But it's good to be with you. Um, hey, we're, we're going to open up Scripture, and if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, turn to Luke chapter 3. We've been in Luke um, for a few months now and uh, walking through this story that, that tells the story of, of, of Jesus. And uh, we've been um, going through the, the narrative of his birth through the months of December. And then the last few weeks, we've looked at Jesus as an infant and Jesus as a young boy. And today in the text that we're going to step into in Luke 3 from chapters 2 to 3, we actually jump forward about three decades. And we're going to be looking um, at a story that, that is uh, about a, a really interesting character in, in Scripture named John the Baptist. There's all kinds of people represented in Scripture. There's, there's men, there's women, different personalities, some people who are stoic, uh, some people who are artists. Um, but, but as the extreme people go, this guy might take the cake, all right? John the Baptist is just an extreme person. Um, we, we read about him in, in Matthew's account uh, that, that he is living in the wilderness, kind of on the fringes of society, that he wears a, a cloak of camel hair. He eats locusts, grasshoppers basically, uh, eats wild honey. We know he doesn't get along very well uh, with the, the leading authority at the time, and he's just an extreme personality, and, and, and we're going to hear from him today. And I was reading about him in this com commentary and, and looking for, you know, some of our scholarly leaders and how they, they describe his behavior and why he's wired the way that he is, and he's so extreme. And, and this is one of the commentaries I read about him. Simply said, John is weird. Simply said, John is weird. Any man who preached like this, lived in the desert, wore clothes like this, ate grasshoppers and wild honey, is strange. Jesus didn't have a polished advanced man with prestige ahead of him. Oftentimes... God uses people like this. So this is some of the background of, of, of who John is. And, and we're going to read out of Luke chapter 3. And what we're reading is, is actually a sermon. And it's, it's a pretty intense sermon. And it's, it's a little bit wild. In fact, at the end of this sermon, by the end of, of this passage, he actually gets thrown in jail for some of the things that he says. Uh, but, but I want us to listen because at the heart of this sermon is something beautiful and profound and an amazing invitation for the listeners then and for you and I. So let's turn into our Bibles. Um, we're going to start in, in Luke chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 3. It's talking about John the Baptist. It says this. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill lay low, the crooked road shall become straight, 
the rough ways smooth, and all the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowd coming up to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. And even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. John begins, and he's near the, the, the Jordan River, um, and he's baptizing people, and he's going along the banks, and, and he's preaching this sermon that, that really the root and the heart of it is on repentance. And, and it's kind of a, a, a unique and, and a little bit different. I, I know for me, when I read this sermon, and, and probably it hits your ears the same way, as I envision the scene, it, it's kind of a, a bizarre thing, a bizarre account that happens. Okay, he's at the Jordan River, he's baptizing, he's preaching, and all of these people are coming to him, and his response is what? He, he's annoyed. He, he's frustrated. He calls them a brute of vipers, a family of snakes. Now, I'm not a first century Hebrew scholar, but I don't think that's a warm salutation. He's insulted. He's frustrated by these people coming, and it's, and, and it's this weird thing for us to read that, that as he's preaching repentance and people are coming, he calls them brooder vipers, and he admonishes them to say, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I think his response, this, this extreme response, really points at a few different things that are happening. One, I think John the Baptist is fed up with people who are outwardly celebrating God, praising him with their lips but their hearts are far from him. I think that he's fed up with hypocrisy, with people, a people who are going through the motions, relying on their custom and traditions to save them, but whose hearts are far from God. I think his intensity is pointing at that reality. I also think um, his intensity and, and, and the scene that unfolds is pointing at a kingdom that's going to invite so many people of every swath of life. Man, Jesus is even inviting the tax collector, the abusive soldier. He's even inviting the religious hypocrite to come and be baptized and repent before them. It's pointing towards this kingdom that is for everyone, including you and I, no matter where we've been, no matter where we're coming from. In, in Matthew 20, there's this, this parable that Jesus teaches, um, and it's, it's about uh, people who are coming to work at a vineyard, and, and some people come, and they start first thing in the morning, and they're, they're working all day, and as the day progresses, some more people come, and some more people come, and, and there's even some workers who show up at the last hour of work, and at the end of the day, he gets ready to pay them, the, 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 the guy who owns the vineyard, and he pays them all equally. And it points out this story of, of this prevailing grace. That even these tax collectors, these brute of vipers, 
these abusive soldiers, people like you and I are invited into this kingdom through this doorway of repentance. Now, that's not a word that we use a ton in our setting, right? I, I don't think of that word um, a lot. I don't ask my children to repent when they've done something. And, and so it, it might not be a word that we always have a really clear definition of how we use it, what our, what our connotation for that word is. We might think of it as simply just the act of uh, an apology, which that's, that's kind of half of repentance. We might think that it's for the alleviation of guilt, uh, that it's what we do to be contrite, and, and all those things are, are, are kind of half true, but, but the word repentance actually means something a little more broad. The word that, that John uses here, and, and Jesus used it um, in other places in the New Testament, I'm going to read it in just a moment, the Greek word is, is metanoia, and it means to turn, to turn from something to turn to something. It means a, a, a change of course, a change of trajectory, that it's not just the admission of guilt, it's not just the asking for forgiveness, it's the changing of direction. The repentance requires a change in direction. Jesus in Mark, when, he, uh, when he's beginning his ministry, the beginning of Mark, this is Mark 1.14, he says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe. This repentance of moving from one belief and pivoting towards the belief of Jesus, his gospel, this family that he invites us into. So much of, much of the, the sin that we find in our lives is actually a product of us trying to provide for ourselves what God has made provision for. Whether that's security, whether that's pleasure, whether that's affirmation, and the ways that we try to, to provide this for ourselves, the belief system that we invest in that, that will provide these things for ourselves, we're invited to repent, to turn away from that belief, and to believe something better, to believe this gospel of Jesus that you and I are invited into, this good news, the gospel. Repentance is relational. It's not formulaic. It's returning and believing that Jesus is the true source of our life. And I, I'm experiencing this, uh, this right now. I am, we're, we're in this season of, of just volatility. Like things are just always changing. It's very volatile um, in, in big ways and small ways. This, this going into the weekend, we get an email from our youngest daughter's school, and they're like, we might be open next week. We might not. And we're just like, okay. I don't know what we're supposed to do with that. And, and I feel like we're in this season where just things are shifting so much. And, and, and I have a tendency to kind of have what I call future brain, like always thinking about what's next, whether that's tomorrow, next week, a year, 10 years. And, and some of this is how God has wired me. And at times it's, it's been useful in his kingdom and a strength. Uh, but I'm also aware and, and was reminded by a, a mentor of mine that, that for you and I, sometimes our strengths, when they're overplayed, have the potential of becoming blind spots in our lives. And one of the things as I was sitting with this text and, and, and thinking about man, what are the ways and the places where I, I am maybe not looking towards the gospel reality or towards Jesus in his way, but I'm, I'm looking towards a different belief 
for myself. And, and, and I found one of those ways is, is how I am thinking about the future right now. That, I, that I'm pretty concerned. Man, that I'm, I'm actually pretty worried about things. And, and as I fixate on them, I, I feel compelled to have solutions for them. I feel compelled to figure this out, to have a plan for this, and to daydream about this, and, and to try to resolve this, and to go and go. And the fruit of this belief is, is actually a lot of toil and worry. And as I was sitting with this text, there's just this moment of repentance to say, God, man, I, I've chosen to believe a lie that, that my future is contingent on me and my abilities. And I know it's not, and I'm really glad it's not. And I repent, I repent of worrying about this, and, and I actually want to turn this to belief in you, to know that you control my future, that you know what's best for me, that every need my, my, my heart could, could ever have can be found in what you can provide. This repentance of setting aside one belief and pivoting towards something truer and something better. This gospel of Jesus. This is at the heart of what John is teaching. To this religious people who have some form of religion, but it's, but it's not actually changing their heart. He's saying, repent and bear the fruit of repentance. Bear the fruit of a life that where your belief has changed, not just an exterior way, not just words that you say, but what you truly act on has changed. That you've truly repented and changed your heart. This is so much more than just a simple apology, right? I mean, you and I know, we can go through the motions of apologies pretty easily. I'm going to tell you this story. When I was in high school and got an opportunity to go to Bible camp with some of my, my friends from my church, and it was a, it was a great experience. Um, it was in central Arizona, uh, one, one camp for, for kind of the state, and so it was a big camp, and we were there from a very small town, and most of the kids who were there were from very large cities and very large churches, so we were a little bit on the outside and pretty quickly got identified as country kids, small towns. I think they call those townies. And as we were going through the camp, there was this one kid in particular in our cabin who just kept, oh, he just kept giving it to us, just teasing and just so hard. And, and then we just had to take it upon ourselves on the last day to, to educate him in a lesson of humility. Now, I'm not going to tell you what we did. It wasn't, it wasn't violent. If it was 15 years ago, I'd probably tell you what we did. But I'm not going to tell you what we did. Um, but it was, it was fun for us. We had this lesson with him. We go away, and we're laughing. We're going home. And it's all fun and games until about three weeks. I get a letter in the mail from this kid and his mom. She was not so happy with the lesson that we taught her kid, even though he really needed it. And they said, we need a written apology from each of you, or we're going to press charges. And I told my mom, I'm not sorry, I'm not going to do it. And she said, sit down, you're going to write this letter. <laughs> so I begin this letter, no joke, <clears throat> I wish I still had a copy of it, to whom this may concern. <laughs> and I wrote the most I'm sorry but not sorry letter I've ever written in my life. Because in my heart, I, I really wasn't all that sorry. And over time, I, I softened and I am actually sorry now. I was, I'm mostly sorry now. Repentance doesn't come from this formula of saying, oh, I've made a mistake, I'm in debt to God, so I say I'm sorry, so the debt is cleared. 
that does happen. In God's grace, he forgives us and doesn't hold our sins, our debt against us. But repentance is about believing something different. Instead of believing a lie that this world tells me that, that I need this to be satisfied, I need this to be affirmed, man, I can find those things in my Father. So I repent. I turn from these beliefs and I turn towards my Father. And this repentant, it moves us somewhere. It, it, it connects us with the family of God. Man, I, I hope you know God did not send his son to this world so that you and I would be more obedient. God didn't send his son to this world so that you and I could improve our behavior. He sent his son into this world so that through repentance, we could be part of his family. We can be his sons and his daughters. And here in a, in a few weeks or a few months, I don't know how long it's going to take us, uh, but we're going to get to a story in Luke about the prodigal son. It's a really famous story. Probably most of you have heard it about a son who's, who's wayward and he takes his inheritance while his dad's still alive and he goes and he just lives wild and absolutely wrecks his life by believing all of this narrative that the world had for him. And he has this simple moment of repentance to say, man, I'd rather be a servant in my dad's house than live my life like this. And when he comes to the father, he's not a servant. He's a son. Repentance leads us to be part of the family of God. Repentance, repentance leads us to living lives of freedom. John is, is teaching this sermon, and, and the religious people are coming to him. The tax collector is coming to him. The soldier is coming to him. And he is not telling them to go and improve their behavior because that's better morality. He knows that if this tax collector would not collect more tax, he would actually be free he would be free from this money that, that, that's holding him bound. That if this, if this soldier wouldn't go and extort people, he's actually going to be set free because he'll get that affirmation from his heavenly father, not from an abuse of power. Repentance leads you and I to freedom because we get to turn away from lies of this world that will never actually be fulfilled. And we get to turn towards the real source of life, the giver of life has everything that we need. Repentance leads to good fruit. And all of us in our lives, as we live, we're producing something with our lives, right? There's some kind of fruit that our life is producing. And if, if you don't believe me, just ask the people around you. Ask your roommates, ask your family, ask your coworkers. They can probably give you some names and labels for the fruit that your life produces. You and I are, are, are producing fruit John tells them as they go in this repentance to produce good fruit. And then he gives examples. If you have two shirts, give one to someone who has none. If you have food, do the same. Go and live this life of generosity, the fruit of generosity, the fruit of justice, the fruit uh, of, of, of giving. These come from a heart that has been transformed through repentance. I mean, agriculture is used a ton as an analogy throughout the New Testament. It, it, it gives us this analogy that, that apples come from apple trees. Good fruit comes from good trees. The fruit that we produce, the good fruit that we produce comes when we experience repentance and we change the behaviors of our lives and the beliefs of our lives to be fixated on the king of kings. 
So as we're here today and we think about what God is inviting us, what beliefs he's inviting us to set aside, what lies he's inviting us to set aside and to pivot towards him, this process of repenting and believing something better, believing that our Father knows our needs. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows better than we know. We're going we're gonna to take communion. I want to invite our, our band to come forward. And communion and, uh, and repentance have a, uh, a really unique relationship. And um, I'm going to have us turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. And I want to lead us through this practice this morning. Um, 1 Corinthians 11. Um, I'm going to start in 23. This is instruction for communion, and it's something that, that we're instructed to do when we take communion because we recognize these elements. Um, if, if you're here, you've got the, the, the little cup. If you're home, you've got whatever you've got. But these elements represent the means by which we can repent because Jesus paid the price for all of our sin, the lies that we believed, the false beliefs that we have engaged in. He has paid the price of that and has made a way for us so that when we engage in communion and take communion, actually instructed to examine our heart, to inventory our own heart for the beliefs that need to be shifted. It says this in verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. This is what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take the next moment just to sit quietly before God with this simple question, God, where are you inviting me to repent? God, what, what lies, what false things am I believing and you're inviting me to believe something better? against us, all of these, these things we believed and these sins and, and this way of living that, that when we come to you and we repent, through the power of your blood, you cleanse us and you make us new. We celebrate that this morning and we worship you as we take this communion in your name. Amen. Let's take communion together and let's continue to worship.